This is Tending Seeds, and I'm your host, Sarah, talking to you about homesteading, gardening, and herbalism. Hi, friends. I hope your summer is going well and that you are staying as cool as you possibly can. We are in the middle of quite a heat wave currently. Yesterday, it was 110 here with the heat index, and the super high humidity is honestly just making every day kind of a real sweat fest. So, We are persevering, though, and still trying to get our garden in and making progress on some of the infrastructure projects here around our little homestead. I have Josh Williams on the podcast today to talk about his book, Spiritual Herbalism, and I am so excited to share this conversation with you. I think this is one of my favorite interviews so far on the podcast. Before we dive in, though, a little background about Josh. Josh Williams is an award-winning herbalist and the owner of Salt Lake City's Green Thread Herbs Apothecary. He is a lifelong student of the plants and a graduate of several of the world's top herbal education programs, including the rigorous East-West School. Josh has been in clinical practice since 2015, and he opened the shop in 2018. He's also won the Best Herbalist in Utah Award every year since 2018, and the shop has won Best of City and State in several categories since it opened. Josh's approach to herbalism and plant work is radically rooted in the spirit of plant people, He is a fierce animist and practices the green art, a craft tradition of plant sorcery that honors the spirits of place, the old gods, and the ancestors. In his own words, Josh writes, I love teaching and have been able to do so in many venues I never thought I'd be part of. I currently focus my teaching at the Green Thread School of Craft Herbalism and have offered courses at the University of Utah and Healing Mountain. As both a practitioner and teacher of the green art tradition, and of spiritual herbalism, my life has many wild twists and turns, and is saturated in love and respect for the plant spirits. From food to medicine, shelter to clothing, fuel to companionship, the plant spirits are universal agents of providence who truly transform the lives of all they connect with. Through their empowerment, I am able to approach the shrine at the base of the world tree where the old ones are offered devotion. They guide me into ancestral realms and bless the lines before and the lines to come. They remind me of my relations with all beings and my responsibility to land, sky, and ritual. Josh's approach to herbalism really resonates with my own beliefs, and I highly recommend his book to both new and seasoned herbalists alike. I really hope you'll enjoy this episode and conversation with him, and that then you'll pick up a copy of his book and also check out his online course offerings. All right, enjoy. Hey, Josh, thanks so much for being with us today. If you wouldn't mind, could you introduce yourself to our listeners in your own words and maybe tell us a little bit about who you are and some of the awesome projects you have going on? Sure, yeah. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to meet uh, your audience and reach out and connect. So my name is Josh Williams. I am an herbalist and apothecary owner here in Salt Lake City, Utah. Uh, my shop is called Green Thread, and we are a community apothecary, and we just serve everybody with plant medicine. Uh, I consider myself a spiritual herbalist, even though I've been traditionally trained and mentored in clinical herbalism uh, for over two decades. And my work really revolves right now around connecting human people to plant people and trying to Uh, create bridges of intentional 
reciprocal relationship between human folk and plant folk, uh, mostly through medicine, because I am an herbalist and I have an herb shop, um, but also through ritual and you know journey work and meditation and and even study of uh, ancestral plant lore and just encouraging folks to sit with the plant people um, who grow where they are and have these you know super personal relationships with the plants that's kind of what I'm about thank you I love that and this is why I have people introduce themselves because there's so much more there than just me rattling off a few you know credentials or whatnot so thank you for that I love everything you just said just really speaks to me and kind of my own journey as well. The idea of, you know, matchmaking plants and people, I think is just really beautiful. You mentioned spiritual herbalism and we're here mostly to talk about your book, spiritual herbalism today for people who are maybe unfamiliar with that term. How would you explain spiritual herbalism to them? And, you know, you mentioned being traditionally trained, what sets that apart from other herbal practices? Yeah. So great question. That's a question I wish more people would ask. Uh, I feel like we need to normalize grilling our herbalists a little bit, uh, mostly because it's really interesting to see, you know, how people got to where they got. Um, but also because in the realm of plant medicine, there are so many nuances and so many different angles of approach that I think it's really important to sort of know where folks are coming from, um, in the way that they work with the plants. So I kind of, just accidentally leaned into this term spiritual herbalism for lack of a better term. Uh, early on in my career, I had sort of waved the um, work cunning banner and you know tried to find these these words that spoke to the ancestral plant medicine practices that I was trying to embody uh, where and when I am. Um, but none of them really felt relevant to me and uh, kind of more often than not sort of felt uh, appropriative in ways, even though they were words that my very recent ancestors would have used that just didn't feel like mine to use. So spiritual herbalism kind of came from that. And uh, for me, the definition has gotten pared down and simplified over the years, which I think is important. You're supposed to be able to cram it into a, you know, an elevator ride, which right, I'm probably not quite, not quite there yet, but uh, <laughs> I'm getting there. I think, I, I think maybe with a, a short like PowerPoint, I could get it down to 60 seconds. Um, to me, spiritual herbalism is uh, the practice of plant medicine with the awareness that plants are people that plants have spirit, that plants have wisdom, uh, an inherent awareness of our presence, and that they are able to engage in really dynamic reciprocal relationships with us as humans. And so that sort of acknowledgement of the spirit of plants, the personhood of plants is, is pretty radical for most folks uh, who aren't you know, still connected to their you know, ancestral, indigenous, native ways of animism. Um, so I really wanted to just sort of throw that out there. Um, and I also have, you know, maybe a not so popular definition of herbalism, which is that to me, herbalism is the practice of um, 
trying to learn the secrets of the plants that an herbalist is someone who knows the secrets of the plants. They know the mysteries of the plants. And uh, in order for the plants to have secrets and to have mysteries and to have depth and complexity and relationship and communication and all of that, they have to be persons. So it kind of just goes in this circle uh, that for me and the way that I do spiritual herbalism, I think it's important to say it's this is just the way I do it because I think lots of people do it in a lot of different ways. And I don't want to, uh, you know, silence or negate anybody else's approach. Um, relationships are varied. And so they're, you know, spiritual herbalism is varied. Uh, but for me, it's practicing a plant medicine that is based more on my personal relationship with the plants that I work with and less on these reductionist lists of what a plant is good for or how a plant can be used, um, which, you know, I don't know if you want to get into that at some point, but that's like a whole other. <laughs> a yeah, whole no, other I'm right there with you. I, <laughs> this idea that, that plants are, are people, they have this, this personhood animism, just tying all that in. And so it's always very troublesome. And we reduce things down to this idea of this one-to-one, this plant does this thing as if it was just simply put here for humans to use and getting back to the idea of personhood, you know, saying, I can't tell you how many times, and I'm sure this has happened to you a million times as well. You post a photo of a plant, someone very well-intentioned, I'm sure goes, what's this plant for? And you would never walk up to a person and say that, what are you good for? I mean, that's so incredibly inherently rude and reductionistic, as you said. Um, one of the things I really like about your book, you mentioned that it's your approach. I, I really like that it's not prescriptive. You're really trying to set up a framework for people to explore and figure out their own approach to this, develop their own personal relationships uh, with the plants as well. And I think that's so important. And this move to more allopathic herbals, I'm like, we're definitely going to jump into that in a second here. Um, <laughs> that's a soapbox. That's a soapbox. I love getting on. <laughs> Let's get on it. So <laughs> in, in the intro to your book and this, just from the minute I started reading it, I was just really just pulled in and suckered into it because you talked about how kind of your initial foray into the plant world came through this sort of like magical lens. Thanks to pagan spirituality books, like Scott Cunningham. I have a pretty similar story to that as well. Like I, I know I've still got my battered copy of his Encyclopedia of Magical Herbs somewhere upstairs. So I've always, it, it felt very natural to me to think about plants in terms of their magical correspondences and this idea of, of needing to, like you mentioned, kind of unlock the mystery or secrets of these plants that it wasn't going to be all laid out for me that I needed to spend the time to sit with these plants and get to know them and establish a relationship with them. And so my perception of Tulsi, for example, and my relationship with it could be completely different from yours. And they're both very valid. And so if you, if you went, you know, to me and said, what ways do you work with Tulsi? And then I asked you, what ways do you work with Tulsi? We might have completely different experiences, or if we were looking at it in an allopathic way, a completely different list of, you know, quote ailments that we might, you know, pull this plant into our lives for. And I just think that's really beautiful but I know that this is probably a new perspective for a lot of folks who are very used to maybe just due to online things. I don't know, but what are, you know, if this is new for folks moving, um, 
away from allopathic herbalism towards this more like spiritual, holistic connection to the plant world, what are maybe some starting practices that you would recommend for folks uh, to start getting their feet wet, so to speak? Uh, this is a great question because we have fallen into a little bit of a trap in the in the world these days where information travels instantaneously that there's a lot of thinking and not a lot of doing which is interesting because when we look to you know for example uh the lore of my recent ancestors sort of the what we what we call the celtic isles area you know uh, ireland wales scotland uh all of that area the doing is what's important. It's not so much about what you think or what you know as what you do, how you show up. And I think that one of the the most powerful and effective ways that folks can kind of get their first of an endless number of initiations into this work is to show up and do. Um, it's to to go out to a tree to a plant, to a house plant, you know, whoever you have access to, especially that particular plant that's already called to you. Because rarely have I encountered a, a human person who, when I ask them, if, if I need you to name a plant who we're going to go sit with, who are we going to go sit with? Almost everyone knows. Like, even if they've never thought about it this way at all, oh, there's this oak that I pass by every day on the way to work. And we, we do this little high five with the leaves that are hanging down or, you know, this particular dog rose bush that I, I pay attention to because I get to watch them go through all of their phases and all of their life cycle year after year, uh, or this tree in the backyard. That's the tree that shelters my family from the sun when we're playing outside and the squirrels play on and the birds play on, you know, everybody's already got someone which is really interesting to me. Um, and so when we show up to that relationship in the same way that we would show up to a new relationship with a human, this, you know, a human person that we want to get to know, that's kind of half the work uh, is just like turning off the internet, turning off TikTok, closing the book, going out, going out, you know, or into wherever you're, you have access to plants. Um, and one of the coolest parts of this to me and the thing that is simultaneously the most magical and the most easy to overlook is that there's not really anything for us to do uh, as far as like push. There's no action that we can take that will make the connection faster or harder or brighter because we are already in incredibly intimate relationships with all of the plants. It's already there. So the work is more about becoming aware of what's already happening rather than doing something new, like kind of stepping into a new space. And that was one of the big wake-ups that I got from my you know early work with the plant spirits was hey you're reading all these books that are complicating everything they're making everything you know super ritualized lots of pomp and circumstance lots of stuff that you have to do before you can you know show up when all of that is just an excuse not to show up 
for me anyway, maybe some people have better follow through than I do, but for me, it was just like, oh, that's 10 too many things, right? Yeah, so, it's a barrier for sure. Yeah. And so the the realization is that in order for you to be a functioning human person in this world, you are breathing. And the breath is a nonstop action actionable and actualized ritual of communion with the plant spirits. Uh, Our exhalation is fundamentally an offering of gratitude to them. Our inhalation is a reception of gift and blessing from them. So we're already doing the most important ritual. We're already doing the thing that takes us deep, the deepest into the green realm and that's breathing. And so with students uh, with people in the shop, with whoever, I say, look, go find that plant that's already on your radar. The one that you already have like, you know, that kind of pops into your head when I ask, who are we going to go sit with, right? You already know. And just share conscious, intentional, meaningful breath with that plant. Just go do what you're already doing. You have to breathe anyway. You got like, you don't have a choice. So just go do it in the presence, in the field, in the awareness of that plant person. And if you do it enough times, sometimes the first time, sometimes the 10th time, you will find that that breath, that that ritual, like all rituals, takes you into a place that you didn't expect. It opens up something inside of you. And actually, this is a little bit of a tangent, but I think you probably will appreciate this, that it's not so much that doing this kind of work with the plants opens something, again, opens something new in us. It's actually that it dissolves and breaks down something inside of us. It gets things out of the way so that we can experience, again, what's already happening. We are, I tell people all the time, you're all, we're all always in communication with the world. Our heart is always communicating with the space around us and with the wholeness of things. And when we're not experiencing it, it's not that it's not happening. It's just that we have layers and layers and layers of dust, of gunk build up around it. So um, we're already in the space, we're already doing the thing, the ritual is already happening, the relationship of reciprocity is already there. So the work, which is very hard for like a lot of American brains because we want to do and fix and change, the work is actually just leaning into the subtlety of what's already happening and um, opening paths, breaking down, you know, these conditioned obstacles that we've sort of put around our hearts and realizing just it's, it's already it's already happening, which in an interesting way is, like I said, more difficult for people to grasp than if I were to give them a laundry list of things they can do to go, oh, make definitely. Spirit, yes. you know, here's how to make plant spirit work happen. No, it's already happening. Yeah, <laughs> it's already happening. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it, we're looking for that that course, that, that program to step through with all the instructions and the check boxes and, and boom, at the end, you know, we're going to talk about the term master herbalist at some point here, but instead of just going, like you said, we're in relationship with these plants already. 
everyone, even if you live in the most urban environment and you have your nose in a smartphone, the minute you walk out your front door to the minute you get back in, I can guarantee you there's some plant, some tree, something that you have taken notice of. You're already in relationship with it. And, and like you said, you just, it's about going back to that relationship because I feel like those plants, they're still waiting for us. They're still in that relationship with us. They're going to be so happy when we finally lift our heads up, right. And, and start paying attention to them again. And that's, I think where it gets really beautiful and there's so much to be learned there, but, you know, telling people go outside and sit with your favorite tree that doesn't, you know, sell, sell programs on Instagram for mastermind classes and whatnot. Um, (laughs) maybe a little bit snarky, but so what do you think is driving the shift to more and more allopathic forms of herbalism? Is it just this like commercialization? Is it a push for herbalism to be seen as scientifically quote unquote valid or, or something else? Like, what do you think is, is, I don't feel like it was always this way with, with herbal studies. Like, what do you think is pushing everything in this direction now? Yeah. And I've, this is a great question. I've spent a ton of time hashing through this and trying to figure out how we got here mm-hmm. so that I can maybe reverse engineer a way out. Right. Like, <laughs> let's know? go back. <laughs> yeah. Like, let's figure out what happened. But I think it's a lot of things. And I think a, a lot of them are really beautiful. Um, I think that part of it is hunger. Like people have been so disheartened by the systems of healthcare, by the Mm -hmm. systems of spiritual care, that they are looking for the thing that has always worked. And we're somehow going through a little bit of an herbal renaissance right now. And we're kind of realizing, hey, there are some things there are some modalities, there are some approaches that have always been, they've never been a fad. They have supported us from the beginnings and they're still here. And I think when we see empirical evidence and action like that, it, it kind of rocks us and we kind of want, we want to know more. Um, for me personally, what moved me from my interest in the more occult aspect of the herbs of plant uh, occult botany and into the medicinal was how I was personally failed as a kid by the system, you know, by the uh, medical and specifically mental health healthcare systems that, that be, and sort of turning to plant medicine almost as like a last ditch effort, you know, like, okay, I'm going to just try this one, this other thing. Cause like nothing else works. Um, and having to show up for that, not realizing that I had already been, I'd already had my feet in the dirt the whole time. Like I had been so conditioned to separate the ideas of magic and medicine that even though I was fully engaged in very sorcerous plant works and occult botany, it never dawned on me that plant medicine was just another expression of that same power. So uh, I'm very, I try to be very gentle with people because I'm like, I was, I was there. We've all been there. (laughs) I was there. Um, So I think it's hunger. I think it's driven by hunger. I think it's driven by a disappointment. Um, in big pharma, in the the ways that we are ushered through the healthcare system. And that's not to to rag on doctors or especially nurses or folks in mental health care because they're showing up 
to the fullness of what they can do. It's the systems in place that really limit, you know, uh, that, that kind of force doctors to have 10 minutes to spend with somebody. Exactly. Um, That's not their choice. This, yeah. And if it is, here's an invitation to do better, you know, like that's, that's part of it too. Um, the way that marginalized folks, uh, you know, queer people, differently abled people, neurodivergent people, people of color, women are passed around in the system is, uh, I should also mention, you know, elderly folk, geriatric folk, like just get passed around. Um, we're not happy with that. Like we're happy with a lot of the pharmaceutical drugs. We're happy with a lot of the treatments and the surgeries because they can be very effective, but it's like everything around it is so numbing and so alienating and so depersonalizing that uh, I think we're just at a, like with so many things right now, we're just at a breaking point. People are just kind of sick of saying this is our only option. And so they're looking for other options. Um, the, uh, the problem comes in that to me is the beautiful part, that radical, that root level desire to transform the way that we do healing and the way that we do wellness is the part that I'm all about. The part where I get, I check out is, uh, you know, where we want to engage the radical wellness of plants, but we're unwilling to engage the personhood of plants. We're unwilling to engage the reason why plant medicine has survived the test of time. Uh, because the many native and indigenous hands, whether it's folks from the British Isles, from uh, the Americas, from Southeast Asia, it doesn't matter, that have held these traditions and kept them safe through all the things that have happened in the world, it's worked because of their spiritual connection to the plants, not because they were good at memorizing what an herb is good for. Um, and so the invitation is there for us to use the materia medica the monographs the herb books that talk about what an herb's good for and how this herb has been traditionally used and all that stuff as a segue into our own personal relationships with the plants um instead of you know falling falling victim to it, it it's really yeah getting tricked you know we're kind of getting tricked into like looking at herbs and plant medicine in the same way we've been taught to look at allopathic medicine that like this pharmaceutical drug is good for this set of symptoms, which we've labeled this disease period. We're like, Oh, well, that's that must be how herbs work too. No, they can work that way and they can be incredibly effective. Um, but when folks step into this more constitutional, energetic person to person based uh, style of plant medicine, the efficacy goes from 50%, maybe it'll work, maybe it won't, closer to 100%. And it also allows for the medicine to not be limited to the physical box, that the medicine we take in is allowed to move into our emotions, to move into our mind, to move into our history, to move into our ancestry, to move into our life path into our relationships with job and money and, re and relationships with humans and um, all of that. It goes, you know, the medicine goes everywhere, but it only goes everywhere if the relationship is there. So, right. um, 
we have to be We're willing kind of- to step out of that allopathic box and actually engage fully with the entire plant as well as the environment where that plant is and where we are and not just looking at it and going, oh, I read that there's this one particular constituent and it's going to do X, Y, and Z to line up with this ailment or, or whatever. Um, yeah, I think that's so beautiful. And, and what you just said really resonates too about just the idea that if we really fully let that plant into our lives and embrace that relationship, it's going to spill over into every aspect, like far beyond just the physical box. Um, and even just, you know, working with like flower essences, but even beyond that as well. Um, yeah, there's just so much beauty and so much, such a rich tapestry of relationships for us to have. And yeah, I love what you said about the fact that maybe we're just really hungry. We're starving for this. And we're finally figuring out that we've been eating and eating and eating, and we're still just not full. And so maybe it's time to switch up the food, so to speak. Um, Exactly. Yeah. And, and so in addition to like this allopathic herbalism that we've been seeing, which it does make me feel a bit more hopeful to hear you talk about that. Maybe the driving force here is that hunger. And I go, okay, cool. So hopefully as folks, if, even if they're stepping into herbalism through an allopathic lens, hopefully at some point they'll have an experience. Um, they'll look up at that tree they have a relationship with and, and maybe they'll figure out, okay, there's more to be had here. Um, but I also feel like I'm seeing this sort of homogenization of, of the plants that folks are working with, like all over, um, and this kind of move, except for a few like particular folks doing the work, this move away from like bioregional herbalism and, I'm just, you know, so like you're in Utah, I'm in Tennessee. We obviously have very different plants available to us. Um, but then, th- then again, thanks to the wonders of the internet, we have all the plants available to us, right. In some form at least. Um, but you wrote about like cultivating these relationships. And so I'm just wondering, um, are you seeing that as well? This move away from like bioregional herbalism, um, or are you seeing people maybe, slide back into it, maybe through your apothecary, through your school? What what has been your experience there? I definitely push the bioregional approach, not only to herbalism, but to everything that I think people uh, who practice, you know, and I, I will admit to living a little bit in an echo chamber when it comes to like spiritual practice, because I just hang out with people who do what I do. But even when it comes to spirituality, when it comes to pagan practices, earth centered, like I am all about like grow where you're planted. There is something to be said about taking medicine that shares an affinity with the same soil that you're on. You know, um, I've been here my whole life. And so the plants that grow here, that thrive here, I feel a certain kinship with them. Through the lore, of course, you know, there are so many plants that don't grow here that I read about as I'm reading, uh, you know, all of these varied uh, Northern and Western European like herbals. And it's so cool, but it's like, you know, I may or may not ever meet that that plant in in real life. Um, So there's that aspect of of bioregional herbalism that you're already in a sort of nourishment relationship with the plants who grow from the same soil and the same sunshine that you grow from, right? Which is pretty cool. There's also an idea that every culture of plant medicine that I've ever had the privilege to study has some iteration of of this idea that all the medicine you need grows around you. 
And it can be super hard for us, I think, to kind of wrap our heads around the idea that whatever you, whatever you need, there's a response that's already there. Like whatever question the disharmonious, traumatized, hurt part of yourself has communicated to the world, the world has already responded. So um, I think, and I, I tell the story all the time and I've been telling it for so long that I forgot who told me. Um, but at some point I, I worked, you know, probably here in the shop or, or somewhere with um, a midwife or maybe a doula, I, again, I don't remember, who said, when we, you know, roll up to a house for the first time to go meet the family and, and start talking to mom about what's going to happen, I'm always looking to see which plants grow, who's, who's in the garden, who's in the cracks in the sidewalk, who's coming up in those places, you know, that the little wild places that kind of get overlooked in the yard. If it's yarrow, I know how to be prepared for possibly, you know, some heavy bleeding, some hemorrhaging, like, you know, if it's uh, some kind of uh, angelica species or a dandelion or a cleavers, they're already responding this way. So there's, again, there's the communication is already happening. So to me, why wouldn't you, you know, want that? I know, of course, I wrote a book. I wrote a second book too, that, which is coming out at the end of the year. So I would very much love people to read my book. But I also want to say that, you know, we live in a book. Like nature, that sacred text, that green, we call it the great green book is open and the pages are always being written at every moment. And so bioregional herbalism is an invitation not only to engage with the medicine that has these, this affinity with you, that's kind of showing up and responding to who you be as a person, which is amazing. That's the world acting as herbalist for you, right? Um, but when we harvest, you know, salvia sage out of our gardens, or uh, when I go through this week and harvest a little bit of these fresh, like baby linden leaves, um, there's like just very small footprint, you know, None of the plant material had to be put through big dryers or irradiated or sulfured uh, or put in boxes that are wrapped in plastic that are put on ships that are shipped across the, like none of that happened. Um, my prayer to the plant to imbue that leaf, that part, that root with the fullness of their virtue, you know, for the following reasons that I'm, I'm harvesting and asking for that medicine to come through is it's a direct thing. It's faster than Amazon. It's faster than overnight shipping. Um, and it's so personal and it forces me to reckon my medicine, to come face to face with the person that's giving me medicine. That's giving me healing. That's giving me nourishment. It's giving me magic, right? Whatever the situation is. So, so much power, uh, in all of that, the implications of environment, the environmental impact, um, to the relevancy. And, and I think an important thing to note too, is that we have mostly as American folks, um, 
fetishized and sort of exoticized. I don't, I don't know if that's a word, but we've fetishized these plants that are hard to get that come from really wild places, the depth of the rainforest, you know, mountaintops in India. And there's a, there's a lot that goes into getting those plants out of those places. Um, and then here, you know, that it's relatively damaging, not to mention the fact that a lot of these plants that have been fetishized in this way are part of incredibly old, incredibly important sacred practices of the varied indigenous people who live in those places. And so as the American market or the Western market, I guess is like a better way to say it, kicks into gear about a certain plan as we start sort of like, you know, salivating over a certain plan and people start writing about it. We're kind of going through this right now with Blue Lotus. Um, we have to consider the impact of the people who have wisdom carried the teachings of that plant since the, the time immemorial, since the beginning, and what it looks like for those people to have a demand of harvest coming out of you know, their ecology, their bioregion overnight. Um, and we have to consider too, you know, the, the relevance of relationship. And I've been joking lately, you know, if I, if I could get a dollar bill for every person who asks me if we carry Blue Lotus, I'd have my rent paid. Um, the beautiful part of that conversation is again, anything we need is already there. So while it may be very difficult or impossible for us to grow blue lotus here or Palo Santo or dragon's blood resin, like many plants that I don't work with, we do have allies that do very similar medicine. They bring very similar virtues and they can grow in your garden. No, they're not blue lotus. Um, and no, you might not see people doing TikTok videos about them, but I guarantee if somebody with the, the wisdom and the experience of this plant work builds you medicine with those plants, you will go not only to the places those plants will take you, but maybe further. So, yeah, most definitely. And I think that's such an important point to raise about the sort of like herbal version of superfoods with these trends that we see popping up and then as you said, the impact that has on those communities where we're basically pricing them out or resourcing them out of things that have been their traditions in order for us to appropriate them when odds are there was something locally available to us in our bioregion for far less money, far less environmental impact, not having that impact on those folks who traditionally used or work with that plant. And Along the way, we could have made our own relationships or even, you know, I'm a small herb farmer myself. And so I will talk to people and they'll ask, you know, we've had this huge explosion of, of small, smaller herb farmers in the U S which I think is so needed and so vital. And I think it's really great. Um, but I also want to get to the point where I can turn folks away, which, you know, I'm not at that point because we still have bills to pay, but I would love if someone from across the country reaches out to me to buy herbs for me to say, please don't actually. And then here's a list of local farmers that are growing herbs right in the same County as you, um, please go get something from them instead. And it may not be the same plant, 
Um, but like you mentioned with like folks coming into your shop, looking for, you know, blue Lotus or whatever the flavor of the week is, we can instead like have that conversation with people and go, well, why were you wanting to work with this plant? What benefit did you think you were going to get? Cool. Can I introduce you to these other plants that actually grow in this area? Um, and are going to be way cheaper. You can get it, as you said, faster than Amazon. You can work with it today and you can actually establish this plant relationship, I think is so much more beautiful and just makes for such a richer experience as we get to know these plants as well. Um, you know, that idea that the plant we need is the one that's outside our door. You know, I come back to that all the time and I know so many different herbalists that have stories about living on a piece, a piece of land for years and years, and they know all the plants on their land. And then one year randomly, something starts growing that they've never seen on that piece of land before. And wouldn't, you know, it's exactly what they needed for something that pops up in their own life or the life of a family member that year. I mean, so many of us have stories like that. Um, and I think this kind of ties into the idea of, of also the plant's intuition as well as our, our own. And you write about that in the book as well. Can you talk a little bit about the role that intuition, intuition plays for you in your herbal practice um, or your life in general? Yes, there are, there are lots of ways that we can get into this. I'm trying <laughs> to pick one. <laughs> uh, I'm in this mood right now as of late where I, I'm really just trying to like put it all out there. You know, I've always been very like careful in the past of like giving people only what they can chew in one mouthful. And I'm kind of like, I guess I'm getting old. I'm like, all right, here, here, all of it is. Let's, let's see where it takes you. Let's do it. Um, <laughs> so one thing I will say about, about intuition, two things I will say about intuition. Number one is everybody has it and it's already happening. Whereas come, coming back to that thing that I will speed into the ground, right? That your heart of hearts, the thinking organ of your heart, we have a thinking brain and a thinking gut, but the thinking organ of the heart is always in communication with the wholeness of things that you cannot walk through the world without exchanging information with with humans. We've all had that experience of walking by somebody and either being drawn to them or sort of like repulsed by them for, for whatever reason. Uh, but also all of the non-human persons that share this space with us. And that constant flow of information is one of the things that intentional plant medicine really does beautifully for people as helps us learn to start listening to that conversation that's happening, to learn that the world is always, always speaking to us, always giving us omen, right? Always saying, here's where you're at. Um, I call it the green thread, right? Kind of saying, here's a little bit of a thread. If you just keep following that, you're going to go exactly where the best places for you to be are. Um, that's the idea of synchronicity, right? So that's one aspect. Another, um, a deeper mystery of plant spirit work. Again, not something I generally throw out there, but like, whatever. Let's do it. Um, when we start engaging intentionally with the inherent personhood, not only of plants, but of animals, of insects, of places, spirits of place. So in other words, when we start intentionally engaging with the idea of animism, um, not choosing to see it from kind of a human exceptionalist way, like we're gifting the world personhood, no. Choosing to experience and engage with how it already is, 
like the, the, the radical sovereignty of all persons. Over time, generally a short amount of time for people who tend to be interested in these kinds of things, that engagement with a world filled with spirit, a world filled with a tapestry of persons that are all in relationship with each other, and all of those relationships are what actually create the cosmos. The world is a, a product of an infinite number of relationships. It drops us into an altered state of consciousness. So people who cultivate and nourish this animist perspective, this idea that the world is filled with persons, operate consciously in a slightly different place than folks who walk through the world isolated or walk through the world with um, perspectives of human exceptionalism, that somehow humans are the smartest, most important people in the room, uh, or the only true people in the room, the only people with soul or spirit. Uh, like I'm never so, lonely when I'm with the plants because I'm not by myself. No, and you are, you know, this is, this is one of the biggest medicines of shifting back into a core idea of animism is that we uh, receive the balm that is being seen, radically seen for who we are, the fullness of ourselves, not what we bring to the table, not our physical appearances, not our bank account. The plants see us. They perceive us. And this is why um, the first few steps on the plant spirit path for a lot of folks can be very jarring because what we hold in the deepest parts of ourselves will be volumized in the presence of the plants. The plants will reflect back our stuff. Um, but with medicine, that's the beauty, you know, that's the beauty. So they, they see us. Um, they see us, they perceive us, they know we're here and they're talking to us with medicine and beauty and fragrance and food, all the things. Um, but that faculty of intuition, that ability to engage with the inherent wisdom of the world, to tap into these quiet conversations that are happening that tell us of things to come and of things that have happened thousands and thousands of years ago and things that are happening now that we're not perceiving, um, that becomes very easy when folks are operating from the altered state of consciousness that animism creates in us. That when we walk back into the world, like most of us did when we were kids, um, and we engage with a world filled with unknown, filled with magic, filled with beauty, filled with possibility, um, and we've let go of human exceptionalism and we've let go of these ideas of domination and uh, that all of this is happening for us, you know, it, it changes the way the brain thinks. It changes the way the brain works and it changes the kind of space the brain makes for the heart. And we start finding unintentionally that people's intuition just gets crazy, crazy sharp uh, just by doing the work. Suddenly they're like, I see signs all the time. I feel super guided. My dreams have become meaningful. I can feel incredible confusion. And like, no more do I start circling the drain of feeling lost in life than something happens. And it, like, it's this very clear sign of where the next step is for me. Like I'm always being guided, always. And so uh, that's, that's intuition for me. 
is just being plugged into the conversation that's happening. Wisdom's greater than you. Wisdom's different than you, different perspectives. Uh, and by walking out into a world filled with persons, especially, you know, the plants, because uh, if we can do it for the plants, it becomes much easier for other mammals, other moving animals that we can anthropomorphize, right? Um, plant, plants are hard because they, they don't look like us. Uh, it, it changes, it changes the way we interface and it, it, it changes the type of consciousness that we walk through life with. Um, and everything, everything changes after that. So, uh, that's, that's what I think about intuition. Yeah, no, I love it. It's, it's this conversation that's been happening all around us or this radio station that we just haven't kind of bothered to tune into. And there's just all these tiny little inputs coming from everything around us. If we would just stop and listen a little bit. Right. Um, so I really love the way you set your book up. Um, it's a beautiful book and I like so many herb books these days all across the board. And, and I'm not trying to put them down because there are some great books out there, but, um, they can start to feel a little bit repetitive, um, where like the last half or third of a book is just, you know, here's your materia medica of, you know, the top 20 to 30 herbs and, and things like that. Um, and it's not that you don't go through and talk about various herbs. Um, I think there's about like 19 in here that, that you go through and talk about, but it's in a way that feels very different to me. Um, if it makes sense, I, I feel like it feels very active. So this isn't meant to be just like passively read and, and ingested as just like information, but instead um, the sections are really short and they're meant to be acted upon and, and for the reader to be participating in with not only the book, but going out and participating with the plants as well. Um, so I'm just curious if you can maybe talk a little bit about the structure of the book and, and what prompted you to go about it in this way um, versus the more traditional um, just Materia Medica. Yeah, so I wanted to present a book that gave people one of the things that I feel like folks need the most when they are really eager to start working a plant spirit path, walking, walking deeper with the plants. And that, that is permission. You know, people just need to be told it's okay that you feel the things you feel and that you're pulled in the ways that you're pulled and that you are fascinated. Like when you were a kid by the, you know, infinite way that all of this is unfolding. Um, I feel like just telling people like, that's cool. It's, it's actually more than cool. It's great. Like that's, that's what doing the work looks like. So I wanted the, the book sort of to be like just a big permission slip to like mm -hmm. feel all the feels and have all of the inspiration and the revelation and the, the green gnosis and the dreams and to just be like valid, valid, valid all across the board. Um, and I wanted to do that by sharing, there are, there are 19 herbs that I sort of talk about throughout the book. And I wanted to do it by sharing a look inside of what the work actualized looks like. So instead of it being a monograph of rose or linden or mullen, it's kind of a look at my relationship with those plants. Um, you're getting in one hand, a deep reverence and a deep celebration for the lore that has survived, 
generation after generation after generation and been passed down of how folks uh, from the beginningless beginning have worked with a particular plant and honored them and uh, gained access into their mysteries. And on the other hand, just how they've shown up for me, like what we've done together, how they feel to me as medicine, how um, the poetry that they inspire in me, you know, when I'm crafting ritual for people. So I kind of wanted folks to have the book that I wish I would have had, you know, after the Scott Cunningham book, like after the 101, like now what, you know? And so I just, I just thought, what if I just show people what it, what it looks like for me and maybe they'll see something of themselves in it, or it'll just give them permission to play, to experience and to be guided by the plants when they see that I'm not afraid to go into the brush a little bit, you know, and say, yes, roses celebrated over and over and over again for these virtues, for these blessings that, that they give, but also here's how Rose has shown up for me and how we've worked together and how uh, the Rose of that grows all over where I live, the, the, the dog Rose uh, has played such a crucial role in me getting to where I am and being who I am. So those 19 plans, of course, impossible to narrow it down. I think there was like 50, uh, but I, I really had to sit for you know a while and say, okay, we got to make this <laughs> digestible. Um, and those chapters too, the, those 19 plants also speak to me about the surrounding information in the chapter. So if we're talking about you know, writing a ritual or what is magic or how to craft a tincture, there's a relevance from that, between that teaching and the particular plant that's sort of the patron of that chapter. Mm-hmm. Um, it may not be obvious to people. And even me going back through it, I'm like, yeah, I don't necessarily know why that happened when it did, but but there's purpose to the the structure of the book that way. Um, and yeah, just it's to permit it's just a permission slip and a, a little bit of a love letter, I guess, too, to the plants. I think definitely both. I can I can definitely get the the love letter aspect of it too in there. It's definitely woven throughout the book. And I like this idea of the permission slip. And and I know for so many of us, we're kind of looking for that permission or that, that stamp of approval. And you mentioned uh, towards the end of the book, this idea of, you know, being a quote unquote master herbalist, and you now have your own school as well. And it's something I, I see lots of us doing, you know, I've been on the plant path for most of my life. And yet when I decided that I was going to be an herb farmer and do this, I still went out and like found like a thousand hour course to go through. Um, it does not tell me that I get to be a master herbalist at the end, but having that little piece of paper, it meant something to me, um, in terms of maybe alleviating imposter syndrome a little bit. Um, and I feel like that's something pretty common for, for most of us. So like now, as you go through and, and you've got your school, you've got this one year program for spiritual herbalism and helping people kind of get on the path that way. How do you help folks through that imposter syndrome? Um, and like you said, to give themselves that permission to go, your experiences are valid, even if they're completely different from mine, as you get to know these plants, like how do, how do you help them to get okay with that? Well, first, uh, I, you know, 
I definitely suffer from pretty, pretty intense uh, imposter syndrome myself. Like I deal with it all the time. Um, you know, it's, it's something that I feel like a lot of people deal with, uh, for different reasons. And, um, it's a, and I think maybe most people have felt it in one way or another. And it's, I think, so I think most folks can sympathize with the fact that it's a really hard way to feel, especially if you have done the work, you know, you've shown up, you've had the experiences and you've thought about the things and you've read the books and you've like, you know, so I think it's, I think that's an important thing. And I think that part of why folks in this world and sort of related worlds get a lot of imposter syndrome going through us is that we are not living in a culture. We're not living in a society that celebrates this work very much. So we're kind of always second guessing ourselves against what, you know, this huge Instagram influencer herbalist says, or what this top selling book on Amazon says, or what, um, you know, some doctor on TV says, like, we're constantly sort of being told no. We're being told like, you're not an expert, your experiences really aren't that valid. Um, of course, when it comes to phytochemistry and safety, uh, you know, there are lots of voices that should be listened to because we have the privilege of, of clinical research. And I think it's cool. Like I, I study clinical, uh, clinical research on plants um, just as much as I sit with them in, in ritual. I think there's room for both why not? You know, uh, I, I think those are some of the greatest tools of, of science is the, is the diagnostic and the, the research oriented parts of things. Um, so imposter syndrome is real for sure. Uh, that being said, you know, experience is everything. And I also feel incredibly proud of the pieces of paper that I've gotten from the work that I've done and the people I've studied with, because I know what it took for me to get there. I know, you know, for some of the schooling I have, the financial sacrifice, um, some of which I'm still paying for, uh, you know, the hours and the failures and the successes and, and you know, all of that. And I give my students a piece of paper, you know, because I think to be told, we set out a plan of things to talk about, of things to accomplish, a syllabus, and you did all the things. Like you had all the experiences, you made all the medicine, you met all the plants. Um, so I, I love a certificate, you know, I love a, I love a stamp of, of, of completion, but what I will tell people on day one of herb school and and on the day that I hand them the piece of paper is, I do not have the authority to make you an herbalist. I don't have the right. Uh, I don't have the knowledge. I'm not the right kind of person to tell you that you're an herbalist. Uh, yeah, you the, the wrote in the book that uh, ultimately the plants are the only ones who can make anyone an herbalist. Um, and it sort of reminded me of an interview, um, with David Hoffman, I think where someone was asking him about certifications and he said, if you work with plants, you can call yourself an herbalist. And I really like that idea of that. The stamp of approval is really coming from our relationships with those plants, as opposed to 
you, you as the, as the head of the school or any other person, you know, giving out certificates? Yeah. I mean, I think that herbalist as a term, and this is, this is definitely not a very popular opinion right now, but it's my opinion. Herbalist as a term is a vocation, you know, it's a, a calling and it's something that is created by the community around you. Just like um, so many of our other spiritual vocational terms that um, the plants initiate us into their mysteries and it gives us access to those teachings that we then act as kind of go-betweens between the world of the plant and the world of the human, uh, bringing back, you know, wisdom about medicine and cycles and alignment and luck and protection and all the things that the plants help us, you know, accomplish. So I think that when people have that initiation, when the plants, when they are engaged with the green realm as a whole and the plants are speaking to them and they can hear that wisdom and they can move it in an effective way, you know, that's about what we do, move it in an effective way into the world. Um, That's an herbalist, you know, I think that as a term that implies vocation, you know, if somebody's calling themselves a mechanic, but they're not fixing cars, um, they're not a mechanic. They just know how to fix cars, right? Uh, and we I can so all I acquire think, knowledge, but are we actually putting it into practice, right? Exactly. And so I think that my hope is that at some point, everyone in the world will know about the plants that grow in their gardens, in the foothills behind their house, in the public parks near where they live, and will be able to engage uh, through beauty and medicine and magic with those plants and will be, you know, lovers of the plants, herbal enthusiasts. Um, but you know, the beauty is everybody doesn't have to be an herbalist. And that's, that's kind of another thing that's happening in the world right now is everybody's an herbalist. Everybody's a witch. Everybody's a shaman. And it's like, but are you like, are you doing the work? Has your community, shown up around you in a way that affirms that vocation um or are you in such deep relationship with the work that that it doesn't make sense to be anything but that like you can't find comfort you know you can't find a home in being anything other than what you are um and as far as those other terms i don't use those personally i just do plant spirit work i, I don't know what else to call it the plants don't care so uh, I just do that. In fact, I, I only really even call myself an herbalist when I have, when I have to, <laughs> you know, like people ask me and I'd be like, I don't know. I hang out with plants, like come, come to the shop. I'll show, I'll show you. I don't like, I don't know what, yeah, you know, come to the store, make some new friends. <laughs> yeah, just hang out with plants. Um, so I think that's an important thing that, you know, there is a lot of peace for me and there was a lot of peace for me when I let go of the idea of mastering anything. Mm. When I let go of the idea that herbalism, that my work in plant medicine was something to be mastered, mm-hmm. um, that there was a period at the end of the sentence because I chased that period like hell. I looked everywhere, I read everything and I never found any inclination of that sentence coming to an end. And it really stressed me out. It really wound me up um, and made me feel 
exactly the opposite ways that we need to feel when we're doing this work. So when I just let it go and I was like, hey, I don't want to be a master. If I'm a master, who's the servant in this relationship? It's the plants? No, no, no. That's not the relationship that I want. So I would rather, uh, from a devotional standpoint, say, let the plants be the masters. I'll be the, I'll be the servant. That's fine. I'll be the, I'll be in a service role to the plants. Uh, that took a huge load of stress off of me. Well, and, that's and it just makes a lot more sense come. too, right? Because yeah. guess which, guess which one is going to be here longer and be around yeah. longer. So, exactly. so we're here for neutral. a brief span of time. <laughs> we get we get to to work with them and and hopefully do some great things but they're going to outlast us they were here before us they'll be here after right then they've seen it you know this is another beautiful thing about uh sin eater work about helping people find relief from guilt and shame and all the things that so many of us carry plants have seen it all like you can't bring them anything that hasn't uh some reflection in the soil already that hasn't already rotted and composted and, and been turned into something else. So their wisdom. Yeah. I'm like, I, why would I, why would I try to say, I know all of, I don't know anything. Like actually the more, the further into the forest you walk, the the more you realize you don't know anything. Right. You have to be smart enough to know what you don't know, which is a whole lot. (laughs) And be a real, a beautifully, a beautifully peaceful feeling. Just be like, I can just be a kid. Like I can just be a kid in all of this and just be come out squishy and pliable and willing to learn and curious um, and, and celebrate, you know, I have two points of the year on, and the ritual calendar that I celebrate where the entire acknowledgement is about celebrating the unknown is about celebrating that. I, I don't know. I don't know what happened before this. I don't know what's going to happen after this. And to find comfort and power in like, just not knowing everything. Yeah, it's all right. Yeah. I find it very freeing. Um, I think this is kind of a great place to start to wrap up. Um, But one more question uh, that I like to ask folks, especially um, those who work with plants is just that, is there a particular plant, um, especially, I know you work with the wheel of the year as well. So, so seasonally changing up what plants you work with probably, um, so is there right now for you, a particular plant that you have felt especially pulled towards lately? Um, and if you, if it's not too personal, how has it been showing up in your life for you? Oh, it's a good question. Um, I, so I also offer an online sort of community where I've got tons of courses and classes and, and all of that. And it's great, but as a group, we all sit with an individual plant um, every moon cycle. So we begin at the new moon and we journey for, you know, 28, 29, 30 days, whatever, with a single plant. And we just create a lot of space between us to really let that plant teach. Um, some folks sit with the plant in person. Some of us take a little bit of medicine with that plant every day. And right now we're all sitting with dandelion. Mm. And uh, I was actually thinking about this this morning. This is a, a this is a real you know, a real look into what plant medicine looks like when we don't limit it to the physical, when we don't limit it to tissue states, that we're like seven days in, I think today's eight days into the journey since, you know, we start on the the first sliver of light after the new moon. And I love dandelion. Dandelions 
everywhere around here. Um, I'm lucky to be in a city where a lot of folks right now are pushing back against the status quo and they are letting the dandelions thrive. Uh, the bees have such a hard time here. And to give them that first fruit, uh, that first food, you know, to, to eat, um, people are, are taking it seriously. I've seen more dandelions in, in lawns this year than I think I've ever seen before. And I'm just 100% awesome. here for it. So dandelion medicine for me is very much about learning how to let go, learning how to uh, call in that that lion tooth medicine, uh, those serrated saw-like leaves to cut the ties that bind us to things that are weights um, that are just getting in the way. You know, lesson, lessons learned, experienced, had, move on. Um, empty your backpack, empty your harvest basket a little bit. You know, stop carrying this stuff around because this is something I struggle with. You know, I love to like, I love to pick up the trauma and just hold on to it tight, just snuggle it, you know, and just keep it as close as I can. Um, and so the dandelion medicine is very much about letting go, cleansing, releasing, cutting through for me, uh, calling in that, that solar lion energy um, to just break the ties of the bind. So seven days, it's been great. No problems. Really enjoying the the taking the, the dandelion medicine every day. Um, a little bit of leaf tea or tincture in the morning, a little bit of root tea or tincture in the evening, and not seeing a whole lot of letting go, not seeing a whole lot of stuff come up, you know, physically feeling pretty good. Until this morning, I realized in the last four days, I have encountered people from my past that still very much live rent-free in my head um, for, for not good reasons, you know? Um, and getting that dandelion teaching that like, here's some, some stuff that's, here's some dust bunnies under the couch that you can live the rest of your life not realizing they're there. But how good would it feel if you just got rid of it? Just get rid of it. Um, and so, very real life experience of not feeling dandelion medicine in my tissues, not feeling a lot of that dandelion cleansing happening. You know, that's not where it, where the medicine is sitting for me right now, but seeing that exact same effect, the diuresis, right. The like letting it flow, letting it go, um, in my life. So dandelion medicine, and we just had our linden, our lindens, we have so much linden here. I mean, there's probably more linden than any other tree in the Salt Lake area. And they are just getting ready to flower. And when they do, the whole city smells like linden flowers. Like love it or hate it. Some people can't stand the smell of linden flowers. Some it. people <laughs> love it. I do too. I like it's just warm honey and sugar to me. Um, so I'm really looking forward to uh, engaging with Lyndon next and sitting with that just beautiful heart medicine. And, uh, Lyndon for me is very much about reminding me to let the deepest parts of myself, my desires, my wants, my dreams, uh, even my fears and my shortcomings, let it out, like just put it out there. You know, that, that burying things is, is a, is very poor energy ecology, you know? Unless you want to compost it, don't bury it. Like, just deal with it. So, uh, linden medicine, it's about time. Make fresh linden blossom tea is uh, 
also one of the great pleasures of the hot summer desert sweet desert summer we have here that's beautiful thank you so much for sharing that about dandelion as well as linden with us and glad to see it showing up for you in good ways and i'm kind of curious to see by the end of this this uh cycle by the next new moon like what else will dandelion have cleared out for you it'll be really interesting for sure but always a journey always a journey Well, Josh, thank you so much for being on the show. This was an amazing conversation. I think I only even got through about half my questions. I feel like I could keep you on here for hours, but you have so many things going on in your life between your school, your online courses, your shop, the Utah Tea Guild, you helped start an herb festival there. So I know you're very busy. Um, Anything you want to shout out before we sign off? And of course, we'll have links for everything in the show notes. I think you're enrolling for online courses right now. Yeah, online courses, you can just drop in and kind of sit through them whenever you want. There's a ton and I'm always doing new ones. So every Monday, new lessons come out of whatever course is active. Once that's done, it's there and available forever and ever. Uh, So, you know, for folks that are interested in kind of the way that I talk about stuff, the way I do things, um, come check it out. There's, I've also got a ton of YouTube videos. Uh, I do a new YouTube video every Friday and um, pretty much exclusively active on the Instagram at this point. I've kind of had to let go of all the other things just because it's too much, you know? Uh, so that's where I can be found. I love meeting people. i uh, love to hear from folks. If you have questions or you want to share, um, find me, let's chat. Otherwise, come to Salt Lake and visit. It's beautiful here. Come see the shop and... Um, that's it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Josh. I really appreciate your time. Thanks for being here. Pleasure. Thank you so much. All right. Thank you again to Josh for being on the podcast and thank you for listening. I hope you got a lot out of this episode and we'll go forward looking for ways to deepen your connections and relationships with the plants around you. They're so eager to meet you. So make some time to start having some conversations. Also, please check out Josh's book as well as his online course offerings. I'll have all of that linked up for you in the show notes. If you'd like to support the podcast and my work, please consider hopping on over to foxandelder.com. We have teas, tinctures, and more available from our small farm. Our mushroom herb broth bags are also now back in stock, and this is a great time to make some herbal broth. You can also sign up for the full moon fill-up, a zine that gets mailed out each full moon to you so you have something to look forward to in the mail other than bills. I'll be back soon with another episode for you. Next time will be a conversation with a fellow grower about our connections to the land. And I'm really excited to share that with y'all. Stay cool out there in this heat. Until next time, keep your hands dirty and your heart open.